And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 316 of This Old Marketing for March 24th, 2022. And with me, as always, from a remote location undisclosed, is my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who wouldn't have pulled Kanye from the Grammys, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How's Uh, Phoenix? Well, thank you. Yes, it's, uh, you know, we were just talking before the show that it's been a rarity to record on the road, but here I am. Yes, uh, I'm in at the lovely Arizona Grand Resort. That's where, of course, Creator Economy Expo will be. We're on a site visit. I was able to pull. Do they switch the time there? Do they? Do they? Do they actually? I can't ever remember if Arizona goes to, adheres to the time change or not adheres to. The I time don't change. think so because right now they're they're on the rare Pacific time zone, which sometimes they're on mountain. So right now it is it is exactly okay. the yeah. same time it is in Los Angeles, which. Well, there Which, you go. I mean, right. first of all, that should be noted that you and I are actually recording this in the same time zone. It is. This is That's a special. Almost never. This is happens. a special episode. Yes. But uh, yeah, I was able to pull myself away from these very important meetings for Creator Academy Expo <laughs> to do, you know, the most important thing that I do every week, of course, this old marketing with Robert Rose, and uh, and yes, yes I'm, I'm very much uh, enjoying myself here. It's beautiful. It's going to be something like 97 today. So if you like. Well, that's Arizona. Yeah. I mean, welcome to Arizona. Yeah, it's just so weird because I got, of course, I'm still on Eastern time zone. Got up really early. My wife and I went and saw the sunrise at whatever it was, 626. And it's cold. I mean, it's it was like 47 degrees or something. And the, the 50 degree change in a day, it just seems so dramatic to me. When during March, you're basically in a five degree zone in Cleveland, Ohio, like you'll go from like 34 to 39 during the day. So it's just odd. (laughs) It's just that that this is a thing. So, well, this is the benefit. One of the benefits um, of living in a desert uh, climate, Um, I'm, you know, I'm used to it here in Southern California. I mean, you know, one of the things, one of our favorite things to do this time of year is, of course, you know, the afternoons can be a little warm to just have the windows open and no air conditioning on. So we might have air conditioning on overnight so we can sleep and those sorts of things. But then you open up the windows in the morning and get that wonderfully cool, dry breeze. It's just, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, as you got to experience, it's beautiful. It it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And then of course it gets too hot during the day and you close everything up and away yeah, you go. It's, but it's, it, it's nice to go out. You need a little jacket maybe in the morning. And then, boy, once the sun comes yeah, out, that's you're right. like, whoa, well, somebody turned the heat on. And, uh, and <laughs> here we go. So anyways, we're doing all that stuff, getting ready for more just, you know, whatever we are, five, six weeks out from the event now. So it's, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's scary how fast. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. It, really it's, it feels like we just did this thing, and here we are into the, the home stretch, getting everything. We're figuring out where the booths go and networking reception and, and all that stuff. But uh, Speaking of time flying, I, I, you know, I think I heard something around the NFL. <laughs> uh, some, something happened with the NFL and the Cleveland Browns, and, uh, you know, uh, what, the hell, uh, what the hell are they smoking there in Cleveland at the Cleveland Browns, you know, in Paul Brown building where, where the decisions get made. It's, I got to tell you, I mean, those people that listen to this on a regular basis know that I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, season ticket holder, have been so for a very long time. I, I don't even know how to feel about this, Robert. I am like, we're, we're, you know, you have you got a bunch of different emotions. Like, oh my God, Deshaun Watson, Good quarterback, I'll add a lot to the team, but then you're like, what the heck are they thinking? Multiple yes. things. First of all, well, for those who don't know, yeah, we should ahead. we should we should probably explain what's going on for the non-football fans out there, right? But basically, what has happened is is that the Cleveland Browns, who did 
uh, by all arguments, reasonably well last year. Um, certainly better than in the playoff uh, hunt. Better than previous yeah. seasons. Yeah, exactly. And uh, have a reasonably good quarterback with Baker Mayfield, who was playing injured for a good part mm-hmm. of last year, but th- decided to trade. Uh, how, is it five first round picks? I mean, it's some crazy number of first round picks for. Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson is a quarterback who used to play for the Houston Texans, but is now besieged with, uh, well, it used to be charges against sexual assault. Um, and now, I guess, many of those, or the one, or however many charges have been dropped, but now he faces lawsuits from 22 women, I think it I is, think right. on, uh, on, on sexual uh, assault uh, you know, lawsuits. And the NFL hasn't done anything about this yet. Uh, You know, certainly, I mean, he's not in any legal trouble, as I understand it, just at the moment. But certainly from an optics standpoint, this isn't what I don't get. Here's my my problem. My my take is, you know, look, I, I, you know, I fully, fully, fully am like, what the hell are they doing? Because this guy is toxic waste i can't understand why anybody would go near him when you've got you know so many other options available to you but the more the the just from a pure student of the game and a and a and a and a fan of football he's just not that good i mean he's just he, he's he's not the he's not tom brady right i mean he's not the kind of guy that you trade away five or six first round picks plus whatever else got traded for him and replace the quarterback that you've had for a couple of years now, who is just, I mean, you're not improving. I well, don't think. I, I would disagree I, I, I with just that. Don't. So, so take it on a couple levels. First of all, if you're just saying is, does it improve the Cleveland Browns and the quarterback position? I would say absolutely. Yes. Let's so take all the off the field things off the table for a second. He's a better quarterback. No doubt about it than Baker Mayfield, in my opinion. Now, I'm a big Baker Mayfield fan. I wanted to stick with Baker. I, you know, we've talked on this show. I wish they would. The He's a fan favorite, he too. That's he's the a, thing. He's, he's into the Cleveland culture now. The fans love him. Uh, the whole thing about he's just a kid or whatever that was coming out of the front office, I just don't get. Um, I mean, he basically sunk everything into the city. I mean, of course, in all the progressive commercials he's on, he's 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 at Cleveland Brown Stadium. I mean, he's he's doing his whole thing. So I I disagree with management and what they, well, I guess it would be the coach in this case, where they should have sat him a couple games so he could get healthy. Because I just right. thought that that was a bad decision. I don't put that on Baker. I put that on Stavansky, the coach, or whoever was making that decision. So, But if you just look at talent and you look at the first couple years of Deshaun Watson, it's a vast improvement, in my opinion. Because I know I saw your comments on Facebook, and you didn't think he was that good. But if you look at the numbers, you can't even compare the two. It's so complete. And, of course, different offenses. But you can't compare it. And you, you got to, I mean, hurt or not, last year, Baker just didn't come through in the moments. There were probably two or three moments at different games that he had the ability to win games that would have sent us to the playoffs, and he didn't do it. You could say he was hurt, whatever, didn't do it. They're bringing it all in. And now, I guess what I didn't understand, too, is not a lot of the Cleveland Browns players were really sticking up for Baker. And now they're all coming back, and they're very excited about Deshaun. It's just weird, that whole thing. Uh, You know, I just, yeah. I mean, I don't get it. I I really don't get it. Three first-round picks, one third-round pick, two fourth-round picks. Well, it's not even just that, right? So you could say, are they mortgaging the future? But you're also saying you're giving him the most guaranteed money in the history of the NFL. Oh, yeah. I mean, forget about them. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy the amount of money. But I was talking with somebody the other day. So we have Kareem Hunt on our team as well, who used to play for the Kansas City Chiefs, who got into some trouble as well. Uh, I don't have to hash that out. But we... We got him. So this is there is a precedent for this because the Browns have have basically uh, you know put their faith in some of these players. But they got him on a discount, two years at whatever it was thirteen million dollars, which you might think is outrageous. But for that position and how good Kareem Hunt is, that is absolutely a discount. We overpaid substantially to get Deshaun Watson. 
I'm like, what are you doing? So you're mortgaging your future on this, all these draft picks, all this money. And to the point you were making before, we don't know what the NFL is going to do. There's a really good chance that he'll get minimum six games suspension for the moral conduct (laughs) thing that they have. So if you just look at it from a football thing and you take the sexual assault thing out, which is very hard to do. You can't, I can't really, I don't, I can't really make a lot of sense of it. That said, if they go and win the Super Bowl next year, we're not, a lot of Cleveland Browns fans are just going to be excited about that. They'll forget this thing ever happened. But right now, there's a lot of outrage going on with Cleveland fans. I know, I know personally some Cleveland Browns ticket, season ticket holders that have canceled their tickets. I don't, that doesn't surprise me. At and all. we've had yeah. this discussion as well. We don't know, should we support a franchise like this? I mean, this, uh, I'm just, I'm just all over the place with it, Robert. I don't even know where, where to go. Um, so yeah. it's just very unfortunate. Why does it always have to be the Browns? Like, why did, why can't they just be a regular <laughs> exactly. team? You know what I was thinking too? I don't know your take on this one. Could it have been the, the extra pressure? on the Cleveland Browns organization because the Bengals, a you know, the in-state rival team, if you will, in the AFC North, they went to the Super Bowl and almost won it and maybe should have won it. Maybe that basically they're saying, look, we got to win big now. And then there's also the LA Rams who put all their faith into Stafford. And then the year before it was the Bucks that did that with Tom Brady, where you can say, hey, let's go out and get a quarterback and win this thing. So the last two years, that's been done. So they're probably thinking, hey, let's go out and get yeah. Deshaun and we'll do the same thing too. Because to be honest, the Cleveland Browns do have all the other components on offense and defense to make a run. And if you look at all you have to do is look at the Vegas odds. They went from whatever, 20 or 25 to one to win the Super Bowl to 10 to one or whatever it is now because of just Deshaun Watson. <laughs> right. Although yeah. we don't even know if well, he's going to be playing. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing, right? You don't, I mean, who knows? Who knows? So I, I, All right. Well, for those of you who have like hit the forward 30-second thing. Let's just do the special. No, I want to do the whole I want to do the five, whole episode on football. Football and Kanye. Really? You want to do the whole episode on this topic? <laughs> no, I, I think not. I think not. No, no, no. Yeah. I wanna, see, everything I think sports not. in Cleveland is just chaos. And we have the, you know, the former yeah. Cleveland Indians now becoming the Cleveland Guardians. That's finally happening. So, oh jeez. Yeah. I just I don't know yeah, what to do. It's, That's why I'm in Arizona. I had to leave the city. Yeah, there you go. Just it's to get it's away all from, about being in Arizona right now. <laughs> all right. Yes, they're probably. Sick. Yes. Well, that said, we have a great show uh, lined up here. Uh, you know, it, 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 we're going to talk about a bunch of things uh, and some of it having to do, yes, again, with Web 3.0. It just is inescapable these days with the amount of news that's getting created around this. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the Board Ape Yacht Club and ha- and their recent raise um, in light of all the things that we've talked about the last couple of weeks there acquisitions, um, and all those kinds of things. Then we'll also talk a little bit about Time Magazine that has issued its first issue as an NFT, which is fascinating from a publishing and media standpoint. Um, We'll also talk a little bit about audio articles and how uh, there's a really uh, wonderful new study that talks about why audio Uh, And specifically, audio articles are really great at retention for conversion and attracting younger readers um, or younger listeners, would it be? I don't know. Anyway, the headline there is a little confusing. Um, Well, maybe if we get to time, we're going to talk about Morning Brew and how they're getting into events, starting to diversify and build out multiple platforms of content there. And I think Joe will definitely have a take Mm -hmm. on the future of events, given his location uh, at the moment. And, uh, and and we'll then rant and rave a little bit. Um, I'm going to rave around a recent New York Times article, which is a primer on crypto, and just talk a little bit about that. And then Joe is going to rant, I think, around the content creator economy and what does it really mean to be able to communicate with your audience and maybe have a disagreement with someone who has recently posed something. Um, so are you ready? Do you, uh, are you, are you, are you, are you feeling settled now about the whole Deshaun yeah, Watson talking football conversation? Anymore, and- I'm ready to proceed. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's do this thing. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. Well, we're going to open up with our, Big story here, which of course is uh, all over uh, the different uh, mainstream media, 
even those that really don't cover a lot of NFT stuff. But the story that we'll link to in the show notes comes from Daily Variety. And uh, the headline is the Board Ape Yacht Club NFT creator Yuga Labs. And we talked about them, of course, uh, as their recent acquisition of CryptoPunks and a couple of other collections. They've raised now $450 million in a seed round. Just that alone. I, know, right? I mean, just cr- crazy. $450 million in a seed round, valuing the company at $4 billion. The story uh, opens up by saying Yuga Labs, the company that created the Board Ape Yacht Club, uh, NFT collection closed $450 million in a seed funding round that gives it a post-money valuation of $4 billion. The round was led by... Guess who? Of course they were. Venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz's A16Z crypto fund. Other investors joining the round, including game studio Anamaka Brands. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And its subsidiary, The Sandbox. Investment firms Lion Tree, Sound Ventures, Thrive Capital, and crypto players FTX and MoonPay were also in on the deal. Uh, basically, a whole bunch of people throwing a whole bunch of money at Yuga Labs. Uh, the company, which was founded literally last year, the funding marks its seed round, making it the biggest ever valuation for a seed round investment. The company said it will use the funds to scale its rapidly growing team, attract the best talent across creative, engineering, and operations. Uh, on Friday, the company teased a new metaverse project called Other Side, designed to integrate avatars from other NFT projects. The eye-popping valuation for Yuga shows that the broad interest in NFTs, if not to say overheated, uh, is not dying down. And the story that goes on to talk about uh, some of the other funding that's happened in this space, uh, and with a couple of quotes from the CEO of Board Ape Yacht Club, and all of those. What say you, mister? I mean, this feels like peak, peak hype, but, uh, you know, I mean, this just is it, crazy it's, to me. First of all, the time, this this company was founded in 2021. So one yeah. year ago, this whole thing started. If you remember, it didn't yeah, exist. I, I right. think it one was year May, ago, this thing didn't exist. Was it April exist. or May that Board Ape Yacht Club launched at 0.08 ETH? So for a couple, couple hundred right. bucks, you could get an ape. And today, not only, you know, I remember because that's right when I was, um, uh, that's right when I was starting to, you know, that's back when you and I were arguing about NFTs and overpriced JPEGs and all that stuff. And it's a fad and, you know, all that. We were having those discussions. And at the time, that's about the time that I opened my OpenSea account. And it's when I bought that stupid, uh, you know, NFT, which I still own, by the way, the Mona Lisa, well, you, you know, it. smoking yeah, a doobie, you know, I love yeah. that NFT. I actually love that image and I actually printed it out and I have it framed and it's very funny. I find it very humorous. <laughs> but at the time I saw the Board Ape Yacht Club launch and I, you, I like your, to your point, it was about 250 or 300 bucks to get a Board Ape. And I was like, what are you kidding me? No, I'm not. I'm not spending two hundred dollars on this thing. I mean, I mean, yeah. If only, right? That's, so just so that's, people, that's that's me. Yeah. yeah if, so people yeah. know it's. I think right now it's probably sitting at around three hundred to three hundred twenty thousand for a floor board ape. So and that's right. We didn't even talk about this. We don't have a, a story about. But this was it last week. They launched ApeCoin. So if you have a if that's you right. have a board ape. You were given ApeCoin as part of this, which is a whole nother plan that they're doing. And I saw, I don't think it's that way right now, but it actually hit the top 50 cryptocurrencies in the world, just ApeCoin. So you, so I guess my whole take on the thing is, okay, 4 billion valuation, whatever you want. If you believe that digital property rights are going to be a thing, just put the metaverse to us to the side for a second. We all, we're talking about digital property and, and, if this is going to be a thing and this Web3 thing is going to happen like we think it is, uh, Yuga Labs or Board Ape Black Club is the Apple brand. It's the premium brand of, of everything else going on. So if you think that this is going to go places and they can build out, of course, you've got the sandbox, which is that bought into this whole thing. So you could create, a, you know, they create all kinds of things there, intellectual property, movies. You're going to see all kinds. You're going to see basically this media arm build out of Yuga Labs for all these different ways that owners of apes and now CryptoPunks or whatever is happening, they'll be able to, you know, increase the value of what they own. 
because of all these different usages of it. And I think it's, and part of me is, part of me thinks maybe what you think is this has got to be like the globe.com back in 2000, right? Something like that. Is this, a th- is this as crazy or is this the start of something that this really next generation of the internet where we don't know where it's going, we're not prepared for it. And wow, this is sort of just the start of some amazing things. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm of two minds of it, and I'm just sort of fascinated to 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 watch. Um, you know, I mean, to your point, I, I look at this and go, if, and it's a big if, they can actually create something more than just a, you know, social social signal of wealth, right? Because at the moment, that's all this is. There is no inherent no, value. No, you get. The, in I mean, there's. It's things. a membership. I mean, you get. They have to. They what? have events to what? It, it, so it's just. It's just like if you're a media company and you launch an event, you get access to these events. They have. They have right. events in New York. They have events At- all over the place. You, you're part of this community. You get on a Discord channel that only only owners of Board Ape can get access to. So there's there's Agreed. a club there. It's not so, just a signal. But right. Yes. So so well. It's the equivalent of being a member in a very, very exclusive country club, right? So, you know, because, you know, the the value of the activities, I, you know, and I don't know, by the way, I don't, I, I don't have an intimate knowledge of this. A, I'm not a member, but B, I, I don't understand what all you get and access to what is, you know, the details here. But but my assumption is is that the activities themselves are not valuable. It's who's participating in the activities that's that's considered valuable here. In other words, you own a board ape and it's exclusive and it's wonderful because you're basically in the same club as Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon, right? And so you're getting exclusive quote unquote membership into a into the same club that celebrities are are, are a part of, and that you know or other very rich people, and so. There's a, you know, there's a, there's an air to it, right? There's a, it's a social signal. It's like owning a Ferrari, right? Ferrari doesn't get you to the, you know, work any faster or better or in, you know, whatever. But the fact that you own a Ferrari is a social signal that you have wealth. And so that's what this is at the moment. To me, that it starts to degrade in value over time unless you start building in, to your point, active uh, activities that are, have, have inherent value. In other words, if the event then does get you some special content or some special experience that is worth you know, owning a $300,000 ticket to get, then I get it. But over, it, it just, at a certain point, the novelty wears off. It just has to, it just, it just, just will. And so if they don't keep up the novelty, the value of the activities, you'll just, you know, you'll see a degrading, it's the, you know, it's the equivalent of, of a beanie baby, or it's the equivalent of, you know, having something that, you know, you, you get special access to a film that ultimately gets released everywhere, and it becomes a commodity. And so I don't understand now the plan to make this a thing ongoing in the long term, so it, to me, it has just as much risk of crashing and burning and going to zero very quickly as it does of maintaining value. It's all going to be in the what are they going to do, right? And we'll see. They, I mean, they've, they've announced a lot. They've announced, you know, $450 million is a lot of money to do a lot of things. And, and if they can go out in the world and do something with that $450 million to create some real value here, whether it's this other side metaverse or whether it's a game or whether it's a film or whether it's a, you know, a television show and they start providing some returns on the fact that you're, you know, you're now holding this fractionalized ownership of this thing. I, you know, it could, it could go somewhere, but boy, this is, they've just, they've just gave, given themselves a very steep hill to climb. I guess I would disagree with you because this is not our clubhouse conversation. 
this is very, very different that you all, that they have a roadmap that's pretty substantial already. We're just saying, oh, they might add some more stuff to even make it even more valuable. So yeah, I would agree with you about the social signal, but you, you have that, the collectability of it. Yeah. Are there some collections out there that have like beanie babies that have sort of faded and come back and forth, but there are also some that have stayed on forever and keep going and going and going like uh, you know so let's say you collect baseball cards or whatever the collection is some do really well but, and some but that, don't but that's just one but that's, small but that's the thing of- here here's the thing the the reason that a baseball card or a football card from a player is valuable is not is because of the ongoing value created by the activity itself in other words because baseball and football are still active and valuable as an activity to the populace having a piece of history becomes more valuable over time. If they don't create that history, if they don't create a shared history that five years from now is still creating value, then there is no value. Uh, no, they, no, no. There's they, nothing, could, there's no history to could, build on. But look at CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks is basically you just own it. You have that, oh, hey, I have a CryptoPunk and it doesn't do really do anything. It's just, oh, I've got one of the OGs and that frankly the value of those have held up exceptionally well <laughs> over the past three or four years so it's been probably one of the, it could have been one of the greatest investments that you'd have if you wanted you know a thousand times your <laughs> your your first uh, uh investment in the whole thing so that in and of itself could be enough and has shown that it is enough now we're talking about adding utility at the the collectability of it uh, then you got rewards. I saw a tweet, and I don't. I mean, I just this is just one tweet, so somebody go, can go ahead and tell me I'm wrong. But they owned a couple apes, and they were delivered ape coins. So basically, if you have a board ape yacht club NFT, you get ape coin as part of this, and they launched that last week. And somebody got like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of ape coin in real dollars as they distributed this thing. Now, is that going to hold up? I don't know. Right. But that's pretty darn good value <laughs> right there. So, well, yeah, I mean, but let's let's not forget that three or four years is not a decade and it's not 20 years and it's not 40 years. And, and, and you know, if we need to create value over the long term here. I mean, you know, we no, I'm not disagreeing with you. Now, like we've talked about even yeah, if you look yeah, at yeah. a media models or, the you know, our killing marketing model or content ink model, you're like, hey, it takes three to five years to build a minimum viable audience so you can monetize and you could do all the things that you want to do. But this has happened in less than a year. So I, I like I don't even know what to do with this model, Robert. This is this is these are things that are happening so quickly because because in a lot of cases, I think this Digital property rights is a real thing where the audience can actually participate in the financial future of the organization that never happened before outside of stock. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I, 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 I buy into that, that idea of the model. I think the, the question becomes, what's the core value driver of the model? And I think unless you can show over the long term that you're creating an activity that provides increasing value to its to to owning a piece of the history of it then the, uh, the then the model doesn't work and you know this is so so you look at the difference between the value of uh you know even even the value of 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 you know a currency the difference between a functional currency and something like Bitcoin, right? Right now, Bitcoin is valuable only because it's a store of value and everybody says it's valuable. That's it. It's not, it doesn't have any real utility yet and it doesn't have any real uh, use cases yet. Um, And so if we'll see if it becomes like gold, right, where it's really just a finite store of value and you can sit in there and it's valuable because everybody says it's value or if it becomes a utility, where you can spend money on things and it becomes an actual currency. I think those are all things to be written here. This is the same thing to me, right? You can create a collection of art or a collection of things that become collectibles in their time. And then the thing is, do they become valuable over time? Do they become more value? Are they an asset that becomes more valuable over time? And I think the only, I mean, look, I'm not an economist, but I believe that the way that these things become 
more valuable over time. They increase in value, so they demand the investment that they're that they're currently, you know, that you currently made into them is that they create a history and they create a set of activities that continues to build upon that value. Like baseball, sure. like football. You know, nobody nobody has like you know, tell me the 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 you know, badminton, right? <laughs> nobody has the a beautiful, wonderful, you know, first professional badminton player baseball card for ten thousand dollars, right? I mean, they just don't. And the reason for that is because badminton has never become an activity that increases the value looking at the culture of what, what it is we're doing. You go back and look at Babe Ruth or, you know, Jack Dempsey or, you know, anybody like that. Now all of a sudden it's like, ah, there's an activity associated with that. So having those pieces of history are now valuable because the thing is valuable. That's, that's my well, only point is that I, I, think, I think they have a very steep hill to climb. And we'll see if they can climb it. I, so, and some of the things I, I agree with you on, but we, we probably uh, kicked this horse too much here. But I do want to sure. say two, yeah, we two can, things yeah, real quick. Right. Again, the, the, the economics have changed in this because with baseball, you need millions of fans in order for baseball to survive. Board 8 Yacht Club needs 10,000. It's much different. No, they yes, don't. They, do. they need much they more only than need that. Ten, no, they need they more than that. They only need ten thousand owners. That's why. That's the beauty of Web three. That's the and I and I talked about this as social. Oh, they only need ten thousand owners, but they need a much bigger audience. No, they don't. they absolutely. I disagree. They, do. they don't. They absolutely don't to, for this model to work. So Ari, you only need a small number of super fans for the economics of this to work. You you only need ten thousand people that are willing to pay or hold. An ape. That's it. You don't need any more than that. And that's how right. it got started. But you need to create the value. You need to create the, and then we can move on for sure. You need to create the value with a much broader, in a much broader way to keep that investment value among the, you know, because, you know, you get five people in a club together who are willing to spend, you know, I mean, this is Davos, right? I mean, you know, so you think about Davos, where Davos is a club that, you know, it's really hard to get into that little club, right? Where, you know, if you're, you know, uh, uh, you know, Bill Gates or whoever gets invited to Davos, you can you can go and hobnob with, you know, some of the, you know, some of the, the, the world leaders and sort of have that network. Yes, I totally get that, right? Where you can have a private club of people who get together because of the value of the people in the club. And that can be a small club. And However, if you're going to create something that is going to create investment value over time, you've also got to create the activity that is worth the value. So if all they do is say, "Yeah, you're in a club with, you know, uh, you know, Paris Hilton and 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 uh, and you know, and, and other other really rich people," unless they create events that sort of you know entertain or create value in some way, it, there's 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 no there's no map there. There's no activity there, and. Thus, the value. I, well, I, yeah, I, can't I, I hear what you're saying, persists. but you don't need a million people to do that. You only have you only no, have you a don't certain need a million people to slots. do that. Yes, you have a. If you create more buzz and more uh, intellectual property, absolutely. The the last thing I just want to correct you on, not that I enjoy correcting uh, you, but uh, Bitcoin does have quite a few use cases for usability. I'll give you one really quickly. Not at scale. I'll tell you, at and scale. I had this argument with somebody that works at a private bank, and he was saying that Bitcoin is only a store of value. And I said, mostly to, to most people, it's a store of value. But I'll tell you what, let's say that you, Robert Rose, had a million dollars and you want to send that million dollars to somebody. You know how hard it is to send a million dollars in like U.S. denominated currency to somebody else and how many hoops you have to go through with a bank and ACH to make that happen. It's very, very difficult to send that amount of money with Bitcoin takes a minute peer to peer done i'm just saying that right. is an amazing use yeah, case no, for moving well, large amounts of money and i'm just going there's many other ones but i'm just going to and the people of el salvador yeah. would probably say there's a lot of use cases as well since they're all using it as legal yes. tender and absolutely and that is all going to change that is all going to change and unless and 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 by the way the number of people who need to send a million dollars is exceeding but again small. you don't need everybody you don't need everybody for a currency to work. You, you don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is this is the whole thing where we talk about the importance of Web three, where you can create these digital assets and creators can benefit by having smaller set of super fans that want to invest in the creator. 
That's why the economics are so tempting to a creator because you don't need a million anymore. You need a, a, what Lee Jin I, calls 100 true fans. You might not even need your Kevin Ke- Kelly's 1,000 true fans anymore. You might only need 10. Well, yes. That, I mean, that, that math works all the way down to one, right? <laughs> you know, I only need one person to give me a million dollars to have an audience of one be valuable enough for me to retire on. I get it, right? I get it. But the economics, the law of supply and demand, also are at play sure. here. I and yeah, I get that. And so, I know. I know. You don't so, have to keep you know, going I into this start, just because I'm yeah. telling you you're wrong. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we probably should get to other stories. Yeah. Well, let's let's move along should, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's move along here. We're going to cover two other quick stories here that we'll pair together um, on uh, on Web 3.0 because we haven't talked enough about it yet, of course. Um, but they are related to the media and marketing. And so it is worth sort of just mentioning them here. Um, Time Magazine, which of course is trying its best to come back as a real, uh, uh, as, as, as Pinocchio might say, a real boy, um, <laughs> has announced the release of a full magazine issue that will be available as an NFT. The latest endeavor uh, from the legacy publication will mark the first time any digital or print publication has released an entire issue on the blockchain. That can't be right. That that uh, I can't imagine that that's right. Maybe any popular or mainstream. I, I would agree with that. I think it's the most, it's the, yeah. the, the first popular one. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So over the past year, Time has grown increasingly involved in the NFT ecosystem. In September, it launched an NFT collection called Time Pieces, get it, <laughs> uh, featuring original artwork from more than 40 artists. Uh, shortly after, it named teenage NFT sensation Nyla Hayes as its first artist in residence. Since then, the Time Pieces NFT initiative has become a staple of the NFT community. Uh, in line with the Time Pieces digitally native nature, the issue will feature a cover story on Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the announcement and what they're going to be doing with it. We're going to pair this with a Twitter thread, actually, um, from Stella Artois, very good beer, by the way. Um, I'm a big Stella fan, who announced this week that their first NFT collection, The Drop Artois, is dropping tomorrow. Get it? What they did is everybody with the puns. Um, hashtag World Water Day. Proceeds from their NFTs will go to support water in per- per- perpetuity. Uh, thanks to our partners at PrettyBlocks and ArtBlocks.io for helping bring this to life. Then they basically go through a thread of how they're going, you know, what their goal is to change. You know, they want to do a, a basically it's a very ESG or or social corporate responsibility sort of initiative around water. Um, they've partnered up to launch the Drop Artois, which is a generative artwork that inspires reflection. Okay, yes, I get it. It's very creative. nice. Um, he combines the waves and rise and fall and blah, blah, blah. And it's about water. And what say you to both of these things, um, Time Magazine and Stella? Oh, I, they're, again, they're fine. I, I think that it's yeah. what we've been talking about. There's a lot of brands out there that are doing some experimentation. I think this is all good. They're seeing what works and what doesn't. This is what we should be doing right now at this period of Web3. I think the thing that I really think is amazing, which is what you're really going to start seeing some of these brands build out, is Time hired somebody full-time to run their Web3 business. And they recruited, and they're getting things going, and then now you're going to have Stella do the same thing. And so almost like when we saw content marketing build out, when we, you and I were talking about it in... 08, 09, when there were no content marketing titles, and now all of a sudden you've got content marketing directors and VPs and all sorts, you're going to see that happen with Web3. So now is the start of that, where you're going to see basically Web3 uh, evangelists and experts that are going to be built around these new business models, and I think it's fantastic. Now, are a lot of brands going to fall on their face? Absolutely. Just like content marketing. I mean, you, you and I know, I would say that you're, probably most of your consulting business from content marketing came from people who failed first. They tried something, it didn't work. It's like, oh, okay, it's yeah, true. we've got to bring Robert in because we obviously are not doing it wrong or we're not investing in it correctly or we're not integrating it with the rest of marketing, whatever the thing is. I think you're going to see the same thing with Web3. The next 18, 24 months, a lot of this experimentation from brands, from basically every Fortune 100 brand, they're going to be doing something in it. And most of them are going to fail. Most of them you're never even going to see or hear about. And then you're going to come up with these second generation things. 
And so we're almost seeing a replay of what we saw in content marketing. I don't know if you would agree with that, but that's what it feels like to me. I do agree. I, I agree that, that this is, there's a lot, I mean, and there is a lot of experimentation going on. I mean, we could have covered 14 Oh my God, yeah. We're just, you just similar, picked out a couple this things. week. There's so many news yeah. stories and so many, so many press releases about launching God knows what NFT. And you're like, okay, yeah. And again, this feels right. This is exactly what should be happening at this time. They're taking small bets. These things don't cost a lot. Obviously, time has a lot of intellectual property. They can do a lot of different things with it. And so that's the first thing you see because the ones that already have an audience built and already have some kind of a brand, that's the easiest thing to just say, oh, let's just launch an NFT project and they go forward with it. So it makes sense the time is doing this. Yeah, I... I uh... I agree. Um, it makes sense that they did it with this particular issue as well. Be, be get with the Vitalik you know, as the cover I mean, story. A, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, because it's Ethereum and and it's the you know and, and it would be a miss, I think, if they didn't do it right. I mean, because even if they just did it as sort of like, hey, you know, it feels like you have to do it. Like you put him on the cover, and the entire story is going to be about the invention of Ethereum and how it's used. And it's like, yeah, you got to. You yeah. got to demonstrate that as well, and so best way to demonstrate that is, you know, you actually put it out as an NFT. I what will be interesting to me to see is is what happens, right? You know, over the you know what happens to this NFT and how it gets used and and all those kinds of things. Because again, I mean, to our to, to the thing that we've talked about a couple of times now with these brands is, is that there's a there's a miss here in the sense that very few of these experiments are actually creating any level of customer experience or utility yeah. along with it. It's literally just a JPEG file that, you know, you can stick in your, you know, little it's private a, yeah, it's a of yeah, other It's a commemorative JPEGs. or a collectible, which again, right. to, to you were just talking about before, can have value, but it can't be just that for most of us. That's right. That's right. Because it's, I, I think, I think the risk is, is that, what we're going to see is not unlike what we saw. And I actually wrote about this for content marketing Institute when I wrote my little web three screed um, and, and said, you know, one of the reasons that there was a dot com bust, you know, in web 1.0 is because everybody went up, ah, build a website, get rich. Right. And, and, and everybody built a website and spent a ton of money doing so and then didn't get rich. And so, and so kind of everybody, the luster wore off, you know, in 2001 and 2002, the luster was off of doing web stuff. And there was a real cynicism for a good, arguably a good number of years around the value of, you know, that's where we got in publishing and media, you know, you remember these days when in publishing and media, you know, you had the classic quote, you know, chasing digital dimes after real dollars and, you know, all salespeople in media were doing internet stuff as a make good, right? I mean, it was literally like, oh, your print ad didn't work. Well, throw we'll just throw online. in some banner value ads for add. you. On Everything online. was value add. Yeah, yeah, it was all value add, right? You know, all the digital stuff was literally just give it, give it, give it, give it away because the cynicism had grown so high. I think we run the real risk of that here as well without some of this utility, like the value is just not going to be seen. And, and at some point people are going to go, ah, it's just not that valuable. Um, and, you know, arguably, and this is a, this is an interesting tie in. We see some of the legacy of the dot com value of digital really even existing today. You know, when when we went fully online and digital in, in during the pandemic, you know, something that we heard from educators, we heard from, uh, you know, from speakers, from events, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, was the discount that we were having to take based on providing content digitally. You know, if you were giving a keynote, you know, you were expected to discount your rate by 40% because, you know, you were just not going to get the same kind of money that you would flying somewhere and giving a keynote. If you were you know, if you were giving a class or a workshop online, it was discounted because you weren't giving it in person. And that's a lot of the legacy sort of hangover that we still have from the devaluing of the digital experience in the very early days because of how it came to be. And I think there's a real risk of this going through the exact same. Maybe it's just inevitable. I, it may just be in, a, in an inevitability that that's the way things come to play, you know. 
it, it remind it makes me think of you know Christensen's disruption theory and so so many different things. But so maybe it's just inevitable. But it that's the risk I see. It's, well, you, your timetable is interesting. So if you you had all this run up uh, web one into web two, then two thousand one, you had this you know depression or uh, let's say a bear market in in web. Uh, at the and then, but all during the 2002 to 2006, you had some amazing innovation happen, and then we had the whole blowout in 2007. You had Facebook that went beyond colleges, and you had Twitter, and you had LinkedIn. You had all these amazing innovations that happened. I think you're you're seeing this right now happen with the NFT and the Web three space. It's just going to be truncated time because it was a year ago. Well, it was almost a year a ago where we yeah. saw the top blow yeah. off. It was April of 21 where we saw the height of the NFT, April, May, let's say. So we're almost a year into a crypto bear market or a downtrend, if you will. But there's a lot of innovation going on right now. And I think you're going to see another year of this. And then, wow, you're going to something in 23, 24. We're going to see some amazing things happen as this all this experimentation comes to fruition. The last thing I want to say on this is the the cover, cover images of Vitalik here. Um that boy needs a ham sandwich. I mean, he needs to eat something. <laughs> I mean, really. I, I, I mean, nice, uh, nice kid. Yes, nice kid. Incredibly smart. Yeah. One of probably a genius. Uh, I mean, if you read some of this stuff, it's just amazing. The whole background and everything. But it's not the most flattering time cover that I've ever seen. I just have to put that out there. No, and the sad part of it is, is that he probably didn't have some. But I mean, they did that very. Oh, I know. I mean, absolutely. That's, that, that photo was taken. You know. There was a photo editor for the cover that looked at the hundreds of images I'm sure they shot and went, that one, that's the one that makes him look like a geeky nerd. So that's the one we're going to use. And unfortunately, he did not, I'm sure he did not have someone counseling him on the look. Not that he cares. No. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not putting assuming it down that at he all, cares at all about this. The same thing happened with Zuckerberg. No, no, no. It's just, I mean, you remember some of those covers of Zuckerberg? Yeah. They made him look exactly the same way. It's just... You know, come oh, yeah. on. I mean, yeah, come on. A little bit better. No, have that's, him sit, well, that's, have him I mean, sit in a chair, you know, I don't yeah, know. You, you know this better than anybody. There is a, there is a narrative that is created in the editorial room and that, ed, that narrative is going to be, that, that's, there, there is absolutely purpose behind every kind of, every one. Well, of I mean, images, if anybody's so. been a, a part of a photo shoot and I've been to many of them, you get direction from the chief editor and it says okay project manager this is exactly the look that i'm going for so whatever you have to do on set this and i'm sure that's what they said make him look like this well there's and but on the flip side of that you use you also have someone on your team they're going no 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 he he's not going to hold up you know he's not going to put on big glasses and wear a a baggy t-shirt because you want him to look like, you know, the classic nerd. He's going to, he, he, we're, we're shaping an image here. He just doesn't have anybody doing that for him. And, you know, or if he does, they're doing a very bad job. Um, assuming he cares again, I'm, I'm making a broad assumption here that he might care about such things. If he doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't matter yeah, to me. Wh- I mean, whatever. You know, it's just, it's not a horrible picture. Yeah. It's just, you know, like you said, he looks like he needs a cheese. <laughs> does somebody yeah. get him yeah yeah somebody get him a ruben yeah. or you know i don't know yeah I mean, maybe one of those big mac combo deals we've been talking about yeah there we go he needs that <laughs> arby's thing that you were yeah, talking about come on give week. him all the meats does. come on right yeah oh, oh, all right <laughs> we're gonna skip to the of uh, the our last story here before we get to rants and rays here just to talk about events um this is going to come to us courtesy of digiday and Morning Brew, a wonderful newsletter, uh, is launching its first ticketed in-person event this fall. The uh, oh, the um, article opens up by saying, business newsletter publisher Morning Brew is hosting its first ticketed in-person event this fall with three all-day summits in New York City. Each of the events will be dedicated to a specific Morning Brew coverage vertical, including emerging tech brew, retail brew, and marketing brew. So genius. I just, so, yep. I mean, this is like, uh, chef's kiss genius. Uh, the company has more than three and a half million subscribers to its daily newsletter. 
And most of its revenue comes from newsletter advertising, though the company did not provide exact figures. The purpose of these live summits is to take the journalism we do every single day in the newsletter and on the site and make it live, said Jacob Donnelly, Morning Brews GM of B2B. The first summit will be held on September 29th, called the Emerging Tech Brew Summit. The next decade of tech, followed by the uh, S- the SKU uh, Retail Brew Summit and then uh, on October 25th, and then, of course, the Marketing Brew on November 15th. The events will be held at the Center 415 venue in Midtown Manhattan. The company is expecting over 500 people to attend each summit, and I bet they will crush those numbers. What say you, Mr. Polizzi, about the Well, yeah, a, cu- a couple takes on this. First of all, Morning Brew is following the media content model to perfection, where they spent multiple yep. years building their base. That was the e-newsletter. And now they're in full diversification mode. One of those ways is the events and why not. They have the the audience and the ability and the scale to do this now. So that's fantastic. Um, it's interesting, the timing of this. I probably think it is the right time. Uh, but you and I were talking about firsthand. Now they're doing vaccination only, which is the same thing we're doing for Creator Economy Expo. And I can tell you firsthand that right off the bat, 25 to 30% of your audience cannot come to that event right now. And that's what we're finding out. There's just, of course, I'm not making any political statements here. We're just trying to run a safe event. But I've heard firsthand from a lot of people that said, sorry, I'm not vaccinated. I can't come. I don't have a doctor's note to do that. So that's interesting to... And the other thing that I didn't anticipate in just the event space is a number of people that simply aren't ready to travel until, let's say, 23. They haven't made their first trip yet. Or, and you've got some people that say, I don't need to travel anymore. Now, I can go ahead and expel the, uh, talk, expound on the, the wonderful ways that you can increase your, uh, your career, uh, app, you know, all the opportunities that you get, the in-person networking, how much, how much greater that is than uh, digitally, but there's a lot of people out there that say, I don't, I can do everything virtually now and whatever. So if you said in 2019 from Morning Brews model that here's a hundred percent of your audience, you're really looking right now in 2022 at about 30 to 40% of people that will actually travel. So that's the yeah. challenging thing. I think they're setting this up well. They're setting low numbers. They think they can get to 500, whatever. So in 23, 24, 25, they're going to have a substantial, robust event business. But so I'm a big believer long-term in events. 2022 is still, I mean, we're still in the pandemic. It is still a difficult time, but I think it does set up well for 23. Yeah. I think what you're seeing here is a tension uh, that is sort of two things pulling at each other at the beginning of the year and will start to, you know, clear up, as it were, toward the end of this year, which is, and we saw this directly, right? You know, so it's no secret at this point that Content Marketing Institute has moved the content tech out to second yep. quarter. And we have data that says exactly the same thing as you just said, right? Which is, and most of it, quite frankly, was corporate travel bans that were still on for the first quarter, right? So it was lots of like, really want to come, but I would have to use my own money to get there because the company is not letting us travel in the first quarter. Many of those uh, travel bans will will come off in the second quarter. And that's that tension, right? Which is between the idea of, as we start to see more companies, and we're starting to see this more and more, mandate people to come back, to come back to the office um, and you see the tension of people saying, well, I don't really want to come back to the office and the company saying, yeah, you really do and be, because you really want a job um, and then sticking with some sort of corporate travel ban is going to be tough, right? It's going to be hard for companies to justify making people come back to the office but not lifting travel bans because of the mm-hmm. pandemic. So I think you're going to start to see a lot of these travel bans ease uh, and budgets come back for travel as people start moving back into the office. But that tension will still will still exist, I think, really until summer. So I think, you know, just speaking specifically about the morning brew events, we're talking about the end of this year. You know, my gut tells me that we'll be largely out of this. However, you know, I think a lot of people have said, I think – you know, I, I think in a very prescient way that it's business travel is never going back to the way it was. Um, you know, that I think is true. I have not seen my own travel increase uh, as exponentially as I thought it might. Um, I'm making my first business trip 
uh, internationally next week, in fact, uh, as we'll record this while, while I'm in London for the, my first client meeting that I've had since the pandemic began. And so, and they're being pulled back into the office, right? This is a, you know, this is a, a financial services company that is, that is pulling people back into their office and, you know, and saying, no, 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 you, you work nine to five, here's the office, and this is the way things happen. So I think there's a lot of, I think you're exactly right. This is a transition year, right? This is where we're going to see, you know, events and companies try to operate as safely as possible with this idea of vaccines and, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. At the same time, we have a sort of a class that is, that is saying, Hey, we can't, you know, do this. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's just surprising to me, Robert, that, I thought by this time, if you would have asked me last year, I thought by this time we'd be well on our way back to normalcy, if you will. But that is definitely not the case. And you're right. I think some of this might not ever come back. I think we'll be more thoughtful about do we really need to travel? But I do think right now, if you're in the media space and you think that events could be something for your business, whether you're in marketing or media, this fall is a nice time to do a low expectation, smaller event. So that in 23, you've got some momentum. And so that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. 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 I think, I, I think, you know, as you know, like they have three and a half million subscribers and they're expecting 500 yeah, come people. On. I think yes. that's, that's totally in line, right? That's, that's the right kind of expectations to have. Um, and, and, you know, and, and like I said, I think they'll crush that. And number. it's in New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be fine. They're, they're, they're probably going to sell out with that event pretty quickly depending That's right. on who they get. So good for them. Yeah. And then and then what you will see is in 23, 24, 25, Morning Brew will have one of the largest event divisions of any B2B company on the planet. Yep. 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 It's just a and genius it. move. Yeah. It's a genius it's just, genius it, move. We, <laughs> go read killing marketing. It's just this is exactly yep. what we talk about. It's just a process once you build a base, an audience, minimum viable audience, you get to the diversification stage where you organically grow or buy. So I would say probably as well that they'll start to be on the lookout for smaller events or some larger events to purchase to add to their That's right. diversification acceleration, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. All right, very quickly here, let's do our rants and raves where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we've just traded away our life for Deshaun Watson, or maybe uh, maybe feels like, um, you know who's really done well this this offseason is the Miami Dolphins. I mean, holy smokes, they have just- Didn't they just get Ty- they they just got Tyreek Hill, really? didn't they? They just got yeah. Tyreek Hill. They got Cedric Wilson from my team. They got- uh, another, uh, somebody else I'm forgetting off. I mean, they've just like, they've been on a tear. And so they didn't get to, I mean, they didn't get to Sean Watson though. So man, they did not, (laughs) they did not, they did not, they did not. Um, all right. So, uh, why don't I go first? Cause I have a very short, very short rave. Um, it is basically very quickly here because no spoiler alerts. Now here's the thing. You do have to subscribe to the New York times to get to this um but this is the reason i mean it's articles like this that i the reason why i subscribe to the new york times it is truly just i mean just amazing content that they're creating um and this is a an article although ebook or or you know i don't know paper or something like that would be more appropriate for this because it's you know it's 14 or fifteen thousand words um and it's written by a guy by the name of Kevin Roos, who is a New York Times reporter in the technology uh, group. And the title of it is The Latecomer's Guide to Crypto. And it's just brilliant. I mean, if you're looking to educate anybody in a primer to what cryptocurrency and parts of Web3 are all about, like in a straightforward, easy to understand, balanced way, he doesn't overhype it, nor does he underhype it. Um, you know, it is, it is just really, really good. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a long read. It's like I said, it's 14 or 15,000 words, but he talks about how crypto is going to be transformative, but it's also going to be destructive. It's, he talks about how it's, you know, as he calls it a generational skeleton key where you can unlock, you know, different, uh, functionality. Um, but then he's, he, he basically talks from the very beginning, like, what is the blockchain? What is, you know, all these kinds of things? 
um, and just really in a very straightforward, easy to understand way explains it. So I could not rave about it more. It's just, it's just a brilliant, brilliant. I have article. one question: Is why couldn't of that? Couldn't that be just a TikTok video? I mean, come on, right? <laughs> couldn't you do that for you? Well, I kidding. think you could. I think you absolutely could. You absolutely could do a TikTok video or a YouTube video on this, and they perhaps should. Well, not TikTok. Um, do this maybe maybe a YouTube documentary. Yeah. If well, you, you will. can do the long form TikTok these days. You can do the long form TikToks. I think you know, some things I mean, are okay that it's in text. I think text plus yes. image is just fine totally. for a lot of things. So yeah. Well, the way they format it too is very mobile friendly, and and they do their wonderful. Uh, I'm sure it's a T-Brand Studio interface. You know, it's just it's it's just yeah. really well. Good. I have not engaged in that piece of content yet, but I, it's definitely on my list. So thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. I'm definitely going to into it. Mine is real quick, and it, I don't know if it's a rant, but it's more of a commentary. So this is I subscribe to um, the Information's Creator Economy uh, newsletter that they send out. Um, Kaya, I forgot Kaya's last name, does a great job with it. Uh, she's the editor on most of these, but. In this one, talks about this person called Drake Rayfield, who's a principal at Day One Ventures, which is a, uh, a VC company in the creator economy space, and goes on and talks about why creators won't adopt Web3 technology sooner than what they should. And this is the quote that I want to read. So basically says, you know, we have a few more years before the creators and influencers figure out how to make crypto culturally relevant to the masses, Rayfield said. And then for a start, many creators are accustomed to communicating with their audiences through social media channels. Joining a new blockchain community to engage engage with an influencer requires a change for both the creator and the fans. I guess I don't I don't agree with that. I think you could still communicate with your audience in the web two platforms that we've all been communicating with, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or uh, or on Twitch or on um, YouTube, whatever the case is. You can still communicate the way you've been communicating just because you create some kind of a uh, asset that is not connected communication wise. I don't get the whole thing, so I I'm just. I don't even understand why this person is talking about this. I think there's, I think actually somebody getting a digital wallet and actually figuring out how to use Web3 technology is kind of the barrier, but I don't think it's a communication issue. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly, I mean, you know, I mean, look, things have lasted you know, 20 years, right? Email's still around. You know, you know what I mean? Email is still a very valid way, even with the, advent of slack and 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 discord and all the other communication platforms that now exist email yeah. still a thing text messaging yeah. text messaging the you know the og of communication has now bigger than ever right so uh i think communication to you know uh to people will 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 remain um even as new communication methods emerge and you know what they are you know, I mean, let's not forget text messaging used to be limited, yep. right? You, you, I mean, that you, you could only send, I think it was 128 characters or something via text message in the very, very early days. I may be getting that number wrong, so forgive me, but, but it was, you know, it was, it wasn't until later on that we actually got MMS, you know, multimedia services where we could actually send a picture through text messaging. So, you know, I, I can remember the days of getting on my phone and, you know, you would you would have to go to type a message. You would have to go uh, two two one to get A, and then two two three to get B. You know, and and you would you know do that. Do yes. you remember oh, doing yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Number pad to yeah. It would take you twenty minutes to type out a text message. Those and, days. You know, it's it's still yeah, there. I mean, yeah. you sending so. one text message in a day was that was something. It's like I did it <laughs> exactly. I did it <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, anyways, right? yeah. I mean, even to the yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff. That's I guess right. I just don't understand. I don't have. To, I could. I could do all sorts of Web three projects, but I can still communicate with my audience the same ways. Uh, so I, I. That's exactly. I, maybe right. I'm missing something, but yeah. that's what I took from it. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, you're off, right? You're off to the you're off to the races to go to go meet yep. with yeah, your team. Right and I'm leaving figure for, out this for out another and... meeting, and uh, we'll be out here for the next couple of days, finishing up with meetings, making sure all the space is where it needs to be, and you know, doing all the things you do. And I love this, and you know, Robert, I love this part. I, lo yeah. I love all the aspects yep. of doing events. I've been doing events for 20 years, and I just 
you know, how do you, how do you make a unique experience for an attendee? And we think about all those things and it's just, it's just fun. And it's fun to do it again since we haven't been doing it for a while. So there you go. Nice. How about you? Oh, you're on your, nice. you got your trip. Yeah. Uh, I got my trip. Yeah, so I'm getting ready for the London trip. So the next time we record this next week, I'll be in the lovely city of London, um, working, 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 um, but also getting a little time off. Um, I'm actually bringing my wife with me on this trip. So we're going to have a little vacation time as well. So to get out of the house for the first time since uh, really the pandemic Good for you. Um, Yeah, there There we go. go. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right. Well, as we said, you know, next week we'll uh, we'll be recording this from London uh, and all of that. But until the meantime, we're signing off. Uh, and if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into the other 315 episodes, just get on over to our website at thisoldmarketing.site. Give us a review, if you will. Pass us on to somebody else. We'd love to have more of you listen. Uh, and of course, hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on Twitter for any of the wonderful, wonderful story ideas that you have and want us to cover. Um, maybe something other than just arguing about <laughs> NFTs. Uh, and until uh, Or talking about football, quite frankly. Anyway, we will see you next week. And just remember, until then, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. 